What if I told you that there's a pill, right? You could give this pill to your students. This is sounding crazier now that I'm saying it. It's totally legal to give the pill to your students. And if they take the pill, they're going to score 10% better on their AP exams. And it's legal, right? It's not cheating. Uh, maybe some students take the pill and they actually scored 28%. But basically, the pill is going to increase your student achievement guaranteed. And if it was totally legal, would you give your students the pill? <laughs> All right. Maybe don't think about the pill. Maybe it was just a strategy, right? And it is. That's the point of this episode. There's a strategy that will increase student performance, student engagement, probably teacher efficacy, I would assume as well, although we've, I forgot to bring that up in the conversation. But long story short, uh, today I'm joined by my friend Kyle Wagner. I love this guy. He's an expert when it comes to uh, PBL, project-based learning, and he has so much value to offer today, uh, talking about the 12 shifts concerning project based learning and student-centered classrooms. And uh, we're also going to invite you to a pretty cool webinar um, that he has coming up this month. So, hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back for the main content of the show after a short message from our show sponsors. Transform how you lead to become a resilient and empowered change agent with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Learn from Harvard Business and Education school faculty while you collaborate with a global network of fellow school leaders. Apply today at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. Hey, Ruckus Maker. My friends over at SMART have developed a research-backed tool that will show you not only your strengths and weaknesses, but where you should strategically focus your energy in order to drive better results for your students. This tool is called the EdTech Assessment Tool, and you can take it at smarttech.com forward slash profile. Take the EdTech Assessment Tool at smarttech.com forward slash profile. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Hey, Ruckus Makers. I am joined today by Kyle Wagner, the founder of Transform Educational Consulting Limited who's always had a bold mission since he became an educator 15 plus years ago to create transformational learning experiences that connect students' interests and passions to issues that matter in the real world. This bold mission is literally taking him around the world from the design of living museums, model governments, and engaging project-based experiences as a humanities teacher in world-renowned High Tech High in San Diego, to co-founding student-led programs and schools as a program director in China, Kali has remained true to that mission and vowed to share it with others. His book, The Power of Simple, outlines the simple shifts classrooms and schools can make to allow for these experiences and the conditions required to ensure they have lasting impact. 
Kyle currently resides in Hong Kong, where through workshops, coaching, courses, and bespoke training, he has now empowered over 1,000 forward-thinking educators worldwide to create more socially, globally, and emotionally aware citizens through project-based learning. Kyle's now a friend of mine, and uh, we share a lot in common, including a birthday, and we get to uh, hang out uh, many times throughout the month too, which I always look forward to those times. And Kyle was originally on episode 85 of season one, which released <laughs> March 22nd, 2017. Can you believe that? <laughs> <laughs> Did it really? Did you remember? It, yeah. That would be more impressive if you remembered that <laughs> out of all your episodes. Of course I remembered that. That's my <laughs> yeah. favorite episode of all time. No, I, I had to look it up. There's way too many shows I've recorded, but I, I had to look and uh, I, you know, I was in a different age bracket too back then. So, <laughs> man, that, we both it's, were. yeah. So it's 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 been a while, but you're amazing. So uh, I'm just so excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you uh, for having me, Danny. I'm glad we could be recording again in March. <laughs> yeah, and the funny thing is, you know, we'll get to this amazing webinar, and I highly encourage every ruckus maker to enroll. Uh, but that happens on March 22nd as well. Uh, this time in 2021, a handful of years later. So it's kind of wild. We didn't plan it that way. I mean, that's, no. it's the universe. Serendipitous. <laughs> that's the same way we figured out we had the same birthday too, right? I mean, we're like, why Why do I have so much in common? And then, yeah. like, wait, when? when's your birthday? July, that's my birthday. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, I'm fairly certain I might've been stolen from your family at birth, you know, so. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, vice versa. I could have been stolen from your family. It's possible. Cool. All right, well, let's let's hop into the content for sure. I want to talk about your 12 shifts, which is amazing. And uh, PBL is a tool for equity. But first, before even getting there, you know, you were mentioning on one of our calls how uh, the future skills, right, that businesses are looking for in their employees. And I, I think the year you targeted was 2025. Uh, they've changed from uh, what they used to be. And when those skills come out, you know, there's always a big uproar in education. And are we prepping our kids and getting them ready and that kind of thing? And so I'll, I'll just set up the conversation there and, and just see, you know, how you perceive those skills, uh, especially as a PBL master like yourself. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, and, and I'm happy to start there. Um, we, we're always talking about the future of education, right? I mean, that's that's on the forefront of everyone's mind. I will preface it to say that I, I think for educators, less than thinking about the future of education is to also look to the past and see really what has kind of worked. I mean, this whole constructivist idea of knowledge, I think has always been there. I think it's the ruckus makers know that and the ruckus makers are trying to do that within their schools already. So I just want to preface with that because it's not far off. It's not some distant future uh, fairy tale. It's, it's existed. It will just exist in a different form with more kind of technology integration. But with that said, you know, the economic forum puts out what the future skills are going to be. Um, those change quite consistently because we know at the rate of which the world outside of school is changing with jobs disappearing, you know, every single day. And especially with COVID, you know, you have a lot of industries that have been just, you know, shut down or had to uh, pivot and adapt overnight. And that means that, you know, the skill set's changing 
And it's not just about just getting a college degree and just plugging yourself in somewhere. So those future skills in 2025, one of the things that moves up is active learning. It's like number two. And that did not even exist on the list before. And I think a lot of it has been inspired by just this shift in what COVID has caused for people to be able to learn on the fly as they go through YouTube videos, you know, through online courses, people are upskilling themselves regardless of what generation they're a part of. And that is a a gigantic skill that's needed in 2025. And innovation is number one. And so I think it, it starts to beg the question for us as schools is, well, if we know these skills are going to be most important, what are we doing to foster them in our students? And uh, being you know, a strong advocate of project-based learning, having my start at High Tech High, and also being in many different schools and seeing those, you know, I've seen that as being, I feel the Swiss Army knife of developing these, these skills. So... That's that's a preface for that. Oh, I love that too. And the, the image of a Swiss army knife um, and shout out to uh, my wife, Shoopy. I'll show you this, Kyle, this <laughs> maker listening. I have a Swiss army knife on my uh, desk because one of her um, sisters lives over there and uh, we got the real deal. Uh, beautiful area. So if I heard you right, just reflect back um, the number one skills, innovation. Did you say number two was the active learning? Yeah. Yeah, uh, active active learning number two, which was not even on the list. Not even one of the top ten. Well, and I heard what you said. So I mean, the 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 world changed. People had to shift, and a lot of people found themselves maybe uh, looking for work in 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 the role, the position that they used to have. Now just didn't matter anymore, right? So what were they going to do? And so you do have to have that ownership. But if you combine that with innovation, you know, it really makes me think of uh, Seth Godin's work and. The idea of being a linchpin, right? Because if you're consistently creating value, and how do you create value? Well, first is an exercise of empathy and knowing who you serve, right? Uh, but then it's getting creative. So that's where I see out there learning, right? Being active, uh, taking from the best that industry has to offer and innovating within your space. And if you become that linchpin, you are irreplaceable, right? So even if your position, for whatever reason, kind of seemed maybe that it should be on the chopping block, if you were that innovative, active learner, they were going to find a, a spot for you on the team. Like they were not going to get rid of you. So, so important, you know, in terms of that that economic forum and the future skills. Before we head over to the 12 shifts, just want to check in and, and see if you resonate or have anything to add to that. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I can give a case in point. And, and, you know, you're bringing in names that exist outside of education. I think if you're a ruckus maker, you know, you are not just looking inside of the education sphere. Um, We have a lot of edu speak, right? But the more we look outside of education, the more really we can bring those rich experiences in. I mean, I've talked to a guy, uh, he's a good friend of mine. He leads an exercise group. Uh, He's built the exercise group all the way from Shanghai um, to now to Hong Kong. He's stepping back out of that role. Um, He's built this amazing, amazing uh, free fitness program. And now he's just turning it over. He's focused on a different industry. He's looking at artificial um, intelligence. And he's looking at smart systems in terms of Hong Kong and how Hong Kong runs. I'm like, do you know much about this? He's like, no, but I'm watching a lot of YouTube videos. You know, he's, he's learning a lot and he's, he's interviewed for this position. And, you know, now this person was saying, look, we, we, we don't think necessarily you have the expertise for it, but you're, you're so adaptive and we feel like you could help lead our team. So I'm using that 
that point to be like, this is somebody who is not necessarily tied down. He's a one of these, I will say, it's not millennials, whatever the next generation is, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, shows, shows how old I am. Um, but you know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're not tied down to anything. And if we honor the fact that these kids are that literally that adaptive and they can insert themselves anywhere, they're like chameleons, then what can we do as educators to kind of reflect that both in the experiences we offer them and in our, just our dispositions and mindsets ourselves um, to be able to offer them uh, that kind of, you know, uh, experience. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, just with that too, you know, you, t- you talk about like hiring, right? And people always say that you just want to uh, hire for cultural fit, hire the right people that are going to complement the team's strengths. And you could always teach those skills. And it sounds like your friend's out there, you know, making it happen for himself because he is the right person for a lot of organizations, even though um, what he's currently in is he's, he's a novice in uh, learning what that's all about. So, yeah. And like, you know, like we mentioned with the Swiss Army knife, he has now a tool belt. It's have tool belts of like, hey, I developed my own business. I tackled this big problem. I, I got a bunch of stakeholders invested, you know, in solving this environmental um, issue in the community. I mean, then you build up that confidence to where you feel like you really can shift in, in and out of any industry. So that's why I'm so impassioned and fired up about doing this within school. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good pivot then uh, since you talked about shifts, let's talk about your 12 shifts and we don't necessarily have to go through them all, but I absolutely love uh, and admire, you know, what you've created there. And so let's just, let's dig in a bit and then give the ruckus maker some value. Sure. So really the 12 shifts, I want to give credit to where credit's due. Um, I think a lot of people have seen High Tech High and they've seen the, the film most likely to succeed. If you have not seen it, I strongly suggest you do just as an inspiration for what school could potentially be. So that's really kind of the starting point. And it was a, a dear friend of mine who's a co-founder there. His name is Rob Reardon. And he just put together really a continuum for practice for teachers to really be comfortable in delivering project-based experiences. Because whereas, you know, as typical teachers, we're in our fiefdoms, we're kings or queens of our content, and we deliver that content, we assess on that content, and then we're measured against these evaluations at the end. And it's become a bit of a system. And to break away from that system, and we know to make things more student-centered, there are really some shifts in practice. And so he started these. I said, look, can I take these and really develop them? Um, and really have a lot of more conversations with teachers and educators who are doing these kind of things and see if we can start to develop a bit of a scorecard around like where people are at and where they kind of need to go. And so some of these things have to do with like audience, you know, who's the audience for students work? Is the audience just the teacher or is it a public audience? You know, are they going to spread it beyond the classroom? You know, what guides your learning? Is it content? Because yes, we all have content to cover, but content only goes so far. It needs to be guided by inquiry and students inquiry is going to take that a lot farther than really we could have, you know, imagined that going. And in terms of their work, you know, do you give them one shot at their work? You know, we always talk about these things. Hey, I give redos or, you know, I give makeups for tests, but let's go beyond that is test really the only way you assess, you know, do students have other ways to demonstrate their understanding? And is it for a relevant, meaningful problem that they're tackling? And do they have multiple opportunities to get feedback on those things? So we started to just develop what those shifts were and what the 
early part of that was in developing all the way to what mastery looks like in the same way that we assess kids and to be able to develop that for, for educators as well as, you know, some, some language around where people think they are in the continuum and some resources to help support them in moving um, farther. Cool. So I think you highlighted some of the the shifts there and then my ears perked up. I, I heard you say something like a scorecard and uh, that sounds interesting. You know, I definitely want to hear more about that. I'm always, you know, taking those personality assessments, right? Or leadership development type of assessments, because I want to know uh, where I stand. What are my strengths? Yeah. How do I compare to others um, so I can work on some of those skills? And yeah, tell us a bit about the, the scorecard. Sure. First off now, I mean, I gave credit to, to Rob because he uh, reared him because he kind of helped come up with the 12, a bit of the 12 shifts. I gave credit where credit's due to you as well, because, you know, you said your ears perked up, but I know you do a similar type of scorecard assessment for mindsets that leaders need to have, you know, to be able to work with you. And that's taking some time. So another shout out to you for helping um, support me in developing this. But yeah, that scorecard, I think anybody is quite interested all the time in finding out like, you know, hey, I've got these certain personality traits. Why do I have these personality traits? Or leadership is is in your domain. And um, so the scorecard is just a quick kind of identification. It's not meant to be evaluative. It's meant to be really organic and transformational in that it will really quickly help you identify and give yourself a pat on the back for where you are doing well. And then also, you know, where you might need some support. And the great part about that is it doesn't stop there. You know, once you've identified, hey, in this particular area inquiry, I don't really know a lot about that, but I know it's important. And, you know, curiosity is going to drive you to become better. And so at least it will start in your mindset, have the question now around inquiry in the same way that when you're like buying a car for the first time, you start noticing all the different cars on the street, right? Like, like there's like a whole psychology around it. Once you've identified, Hey, this is a particular area where I can grow. Now you're going to start noticing that when you're either uh, observe other classrooms, you observe yourself teaching. So it becomes part of your vocabulary. Beautiful. And Kyle, I think this is a good spot to quickly take a pause for a message from our sponsors. But when we return, uh, I do want to talk more about the scorecard, uh, maybe another example of uh, how people will use it and what they can expect, like how they get it and what they can expect. Transform how you lead to become a resilient and empowered change agent with Harvard's online certificate in school management and leadership. Grow your professional network with a global cohort of fellow school leaders as you collaborate in case studies, bridging the fields of education and business. Apply today at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. Smart has an incredible research-backed tool that allows you as a leader to self-assess your capabilities at the school level or broader to help you with planning and prioritizing. Discover your strengths and best area of focus across five different modules, including leadership and remote learning. The tool inspires collaboration with your colleagues and provides massive value whether you complete one or all five of the modules. 
You'll get a personalized report that shows where you stack up against other ruckus makers and map some areas of focus that will have the greatest impact for you. Take 10 minutes and get started with this EdTech assessment tool today. I suggest beginning with the strategic leadership module. Check it out at smarttech.com forward slash profile. That's smarttech.com forward slash profile. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with Kyle Wagner, the founder of Transform Educational Consulting. And yeah, we're talking about this scorecard, about the 12 shifts, which is a a brilliant idea. And uh, I I have to pass it on myself, the credit, because I didn't come up with the brilliant idea. I learned it from Dan Sullivan. And I'm pretty sure it stops there, right? So, okay, I'm pretty sure like he, well, who knows? Maybe he learned it from somewhere (laughs) else. But anyways, and yeah, for the ruckus maker listening as well. It's in development, not ready just yet, but I, I will make a big announcement. Um, putting a lot of thought into that to be a useful tool. Okay, but your 12 shift scorecard, uh, maybe give us an example of how somebody might um, look at themselves through the lens of it. And we'll link up where they can get their hands on it and what they might expect uh, from you, right? In terms of support via engaging with the scorecard. Sure. Yeah. So I'll give a more kind of tangible um, example. There's, it doesn't just work for individuals. It works for teacher teams as well. So if you're already working in kind of a team as is, if you know, if you're working in a grade level team, if you're working in a kind of transdisciplinary team, it's good for you as a team to evaluate where you stand in terms of student choice or inquiry or having a public audience. And so one school looked at that scorecard, was able to identify that they wanted you know, a bit more choice for students in terms of what they produce. And during Black History Month, you know, they'd already always done, you know, kind of museum or kind of showcase at the end to feature, you know, different influential um, Black Americans. And they opened it up, opened up the choice. They made the theme Black History Month, but then gave teachers more kind of autonomy and students autonomy in terms of which direction they took it. One uh, grade level kindergarten did musicians and they looked at a lot of like jazz musicians. And this is a school inside Illinois. So looking at Illinois jazz musicians and having the, the students be able to feature part of that music and be able to write a poem on it um, and do some illustrations, you know, all the way to year fives, which were focusing more a bit on athletes and looking at very influential, you know, Black American athletes that uh, really transformed sport. And so that... That was a way in which they used it. And then what they came up with during this whole virtual exhibition was incredible. You know, they had all their Google classrooms that are opened up and you could visit any of these classrooms as a parent. And it was all student curated work. Some students were actually giving their, their poems or their music, music pieces live and watching that shift. And that was literally just by identifying, you know, one particular shift. They wanted to give students more choice. 
And then that was the the transformation that came about because of it. So that's kind of an example of how it might be used. Yeah, I appreciate that because you show a, a bit of the school's transformation too and how that tool is, is so useful. And like I said, it'll be linked up in the show notes so people can uh, get their hands on it. And when they do, what can they expect in terms of uh, follow-up or how you might support them uh, in using it? Sure. So, I mean, usually it starts with a coaching conversation. I mean, this particular school I work with started with a coaching conversation and just chatting with them about, hey, where where did you stand? Where did you see your strengths? Where would you like to grow? And just guiding them through a few, you know, follow-up kind of questions and pointing, you know, the people who want to follow up with that to the resources that will help support them via like articles or videos. And then, you know, if they want a deeper dive, you know, there's there's a few different ways to deep dive. Um, I do a webinar series with other kind of master. I I wouldn't say master practitioners, but just you know, people have been doing this for a long time. And then also, there's some training programs as well. Three different training programs in terms of where you know you and your staff stand uh, with being able to deliver kind of more project based or meaningful learning experiences with students. And you mentioned a webinar in, in uh, related to the scorecard, but you have a different webinar, I think, coming up basically a week after this show airs. So tell us about that webinar. Sure. So yeah, it's, this will probably air, what, March 15th? So it'll be the following week, March 22nd. And that's meant to be just more of a discussion series, kind of a more like, let me just dip my toes a bit into it. The focus, because it's on everyone's mind right now, is socially distanced you know, learners. And a lot of people are putting more innovative strategies like project-based learning a bit on the back burner because, hey, students are socially distanced. How are we going to do this? Um, But you're going to hear some real inspirational stories from uh, educators from early years all the way through grade 12. So if you're listening to this in your elementary um, or your early years, and you think, you know, generally these things are more targeted towards secondary, that's... It's not necessarily true. It's, it covers a whole gamut. And you're going to hear some stories, but then also some very specific strategies on how to start this and start these experiences, come up with a great idea, increase collaboration amongst students and help them be more independent, and then also get higher quality work. Because these are the three biggest areas of need that people have identified, especially during the socially distanced time. It's high quality work collaboration between students and just coming up with meaningful experiences. So that's a three-part series that starts March 22nd. Beautiful. And uh, so I I hear that you're teaching through story, but you're also giving very practical uh, strategy and tactics that people can apply and that it's a series. So if you enroll, then you'll have an opportunity to uh, engage over uh, multiple events. Yep. Yeah. And and, you know, to, to, to further up on that, as you mentioned as well, we, we meant it to be more of a conversation piece because we know the people coming have ideas of their own and things that have been working. So it's not necessarily for someone who feels like, hey, you know, I'm throwing my hands here. I don't know what to do. I'll take anything. It's kind of people have said, hey, I've started to experience some success in you know, offering some more choices, not necessarily doing five, six virtual lessons a day. You know, and we want to hear those stories because really what we're trying to do is curate a community virtual set of resources for everyone to walk away with that might include, you know, examples that that you're bringing as well. So more of that conversation piece than just a, you know, a Twitter chat that lasts 30 minutes. (laughs) 
Gotcha. So, and also roll, be able to uh, roll your sleeves up, you know, uh, get, get work and take yourself off mute, engage in the conversation. <laughs> Just like you ask our kids to do, right? Exactly. Some webinars are free and some are paid. Uh, do you mind expressing, is this a free or paid one? Yeah. And we wrestled between both, but we really think to offer the most value, we wanted to be a three-part series. So it's not just a one-off webinar. It's quite affordable. It's $39.99. We priced it at that really to not exclude anyone, but also to make you have some skin in the game. So yeah, it's three parts. You could attend all three sessions, which we strongly encourage people to do because you're kind of building a bit of a community as well of other practitioners but you can dip in and out. But yes, it's $39.99. You can either attend all three or, or just attend one. Cool. First ruckus maker to email me. No, even better. <laughs> Here's what I want you to do. I want you to tag me on Twitter, okay? At Alien Earbud and uh, tag Kyle, who is KWAGS SD3. <laughs> it's <laughs> KWAGSSD3. So tag us both on Twitter and tell us that you want to come to the, the webinar. And basically, if you do that, okay, use the hashtag RuckusMaker and hashtag PBL. Um, that will enter you in a drawing of sorts. And I will, uh, I'll choose somebody and I'll, I'll pay for you to go to the webinar. All right. So let's review. Do you even think that's a good idea or should I just have them email me? That's a great so. idea. They have a lot to remember though. So that shows commitment. They have to remember my team. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I'm worried about. So I'll tell you what, cause we didn't talk about this. I'm going to keep this in the podcast. Okay. I'm going to keep, keep this it. in the podcast. Keep it. But here, here's the thing is um, this is a leadership lesson for ruckus makers. To motivate people to take action, you want to reduce friction, right? Like that's a mental model. Friction slows things down. And people can come up with a number of reasons not to take action. And, uh, uh, you know, sometimes the easiest choice is to do nothing, right? So scratch the Twitter thing. That sounds too hard. There were hashtags. There's both of our uh, handles, which maybe, you know, they could be better. So here, it's so easy. You know my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com. That's so easy. Email me about this webinar and okay, we'll raffle off everybody that uh, emails in and I, I will pick one person and, and sign you up and pay. Is that, is that better? That, that, that's probably a little less complicated to reduce this friction. And then you can, <laughs> whoever there's a raffle winner, that could get tweeted out. <laughs> yeah. But but if you do the Twitter too and you heard those crazy things, maybe I'll pay for two. You never know. So now like it's like, whoa, what's gonna happen? We'll find out. Put their name four times yeah. in the uh, in their app. Absolutely. <laughs> That's right. You can enter as many times as possible. So cool. All right. That we got into the scorecard, talked about the webinar. I think what I wanna end with is, you know, some people think PBL could be a tool for equity, some people think maybe not. Um, and I just want to hear what, what you've seen out there and, and what you're resonating with. Sure. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, right? Because when we talk about, you know, equity, sometimes we're talking about, you know, individual learners and especially, especially during COVID, I think the equity issue has been exacerbated. You know, not everyone has those same access to resources at home. And even a parent that's nearby, you know, I talked to one school that parents work in the night shift, uh, sleeps all day, basically to work a night shift at the hospital, deal with COVID patients. And their kid is a special needs kid who's on the spectrum. Uh, a teacher has to go, you know, to that 
house and work one-on-one with them. So, I mean, that's one to say, wow, that what a commitment by a teacher. But it's also to highlight that, especially during this time, there's big, big issues of equity for sure. But there's a study that's just been released. And I love this study because I'm obviously a project-based learning enthusiast that shows that project-based learning is actually helping to close that equity gap. And just a couple numbers um, in terms of AP scores, uh, students that took a problem-based uh, type of approach, um, not necessarily related directly to that test, but just in terms of the content, 10% you know, higher scores than ones that just took a more traditional approach. Uh, English language learners, 28%, I think, um, increase in terms of their language acquisition by, by going through a project-based approach to their curriculum. Um, and there's countless stories like that, that studies just been put out by uh, Edutopia. You can find it. You probably just uh, type in PBL and equity, and maybe we can link it in the show notes. But uh, those stories are the data. And the reason behind it is because PBL is about inclusion. Project-based learning is not about excluding anyone, about gate and gifted classes. And you're the lowest tier learner, you're the highest tier learner. Project-based learning is about inclusiveness and increases equity because you have all ranges of learners who are working through projects together. And all of a sudden, the superstar in the class it might struggle a bit because it's not just simply like I do this, I do this, and I get an A. There's a lot of uncertainty in projects. And that that kid, perhaps, who is incredibly gifted at business or you know, video game development, now has a place to shine. And so that's that's my shout out to project-based learning, how it increases equity. And there's a lot of data behind it. If you could put a message on all school marquees <laughs> for just a day, what would it say? <laughs> I see it. It's guess what? You're amazing. Okay. If I could put um, something on the marquee, I want to, I want to put, put two messages. <laughs> I love how your dog's there. I would say, keep it real. And I, I would also put project-based learning is for everyone. It was been a while since you've answered this question, but I'd love to hear your new take on it. And basically, you know, it. Uh, you're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources, your only limitations, your imagination. So how, Kyle, would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? So good question. I mean, first off, I had the opportunity to do that. So I would just reflect on what I, what I would change to that. There are a couple things I keep the same. One, my top one, my top one, we talk about real learning. So my top one would be that dream school the kids need to have real jobs in the dream school. So those real jobs could be literally that they're running a student-run business. And I've seen this at many dream schools. That business never sleeps. Those students are going to continuously learn from that. So it could be a business. It could be a farm, which you know some schools have, which the kids have to maintain continuously. So at that dream school, they have a real responsibility, either taking care of animals, um, or having a business, or literally running the school. That would be a component. I think the second component would be, it needs to be part of the community. I know it's hard because we're so big on security of schools, but we need to tear down the gigantic walls that exist, you know, between schools and community. And it needs to just feel that it is a part 
of the community. So literally, instead of building a school, you don't build the school, you look at some existing space that's not underutilized or industrial space, <laughs> you know, that's like now suddenly, you know, companies, businesses have moved out of that or manufacturing plants and you turn that into a school because that is going to be more transformational. Just being there is going to be like, wow, this is way different. And you're going to feel more like you're just another person peace in the community rather than this, you know, big building with a um, giant flag and bells. And I would say the third thing that I would do, and obviously being a big project, you know, advocate, I would eliminate subjects and it would not be about subjects. It'd be about deep learning experiences. There'd be four of these throughout the year, these deep dives, and those would be completely inquiry-based. They would be community-focused. And they'd be serving the community in whatever way, whether it's in terms of the elderly population, environmental issues, whatever it is. And those deep dives will allow kids to be constantly in and out of that space so that you're not limited to this building for the learning to take place. So those would be the three things I would do. Probably could hear her whining a little bit. If you want to see Alba, I'm just going to plug my YouTube channel right now. She, she joins me in the videos. And uh, I secretly want to be Kyle uh, on YouTube. He creates great, okay. He creates great content uh, on YouTube. So just, you know, type in Kyle Wagner, transform education, and, and you'll get to his channel as well. Kyle, thanks for being my guest on, on this show. And uh, we talked about a lot. So what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Start small. Start where you're at. That's what I want you to remember. What can you do tomorrow? What did you hear? And, you know, what might you do tomorrow in your classroom or your space or in leadership to to move in the direction you want to go? Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.